Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. The interplay between the terms Beit and Hekal in Biblical Hebrew is simple. So simple that it can be explained to a child. A Hekal is a building made of stone that serves as both a temple and a palace for the king. The writers of the old TV series, Stargate SG-1, got the basic premise correct. People are fooled into worshipping their leaders as gods, and the bloody pharaohs didn't even have to be aliens, just ordinary humans. That's how gullible we are. Wear some flashy gold bling, execute a few poor people, build a shiny tower with your name on it, and everyone thinks you are the bomb. In contrast, the term bait can refer either to a constructed house or a household, as in the biblical Beit Ab, the father's house, filled with flesh and blood, sons and daughters. In Ezekiel and Isaiah, instead of having land and a capital city with a building constructed by men, Yahweh, your Elohim, posits himself as the only point of reference for his household, the Beit Ab, which looks nothing like anything of human construction, let alone the houses we build. It is so simple, yet we persist in pushing against it. It is so simple, yet we still insist on our own agendas and human dynasties, because deep down inside, we love Pharaoh, and we want to be like him. Here's the church, and here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. It's the people, not the steeple. Even your Anglo-Saxon nursery rhymes are more honest than your false teachings and your lying teachers. Thank God that scripture cannot hear you Thank God that in the story of Scripture, Jesus did not listen to the devil. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 491 of the Bible as Literature podcast. I have been working in a series of homilies on the central critique in Scripture, which is the condemnation of the things that men build 
with their own hands using stones. Obviously, it's metaphoric, but not really. Because whether you are building a house for yourself with cedar wood, like David in chapter 7 of Second Samuel, or building a temple of stone, when what the Lord requires of Solomon is a house that is constructed out of his instruction in Ezekiel, but Solomon wants to build a hekal, a temple of stone, using physical stones like Pharaoh, at the end of the day, men want to build cities, erect walls, build castles and palaces using literal construction materials because they're interested in their own legacy. How many times have we talked about this, Richard, over the years? That is the legacy of kings and dynasties. When what God requires of his shepherd in Ezekiel chapter 34 is to care for the people, to feed them, to watch over them, to protect them. God makes of his shepherd, David, a slave, just as he makes of Ha-Adam a slave in Genesis chapter 1, to keep and to protect. And part of caring for and protecting is to provide food. So it's striking that the abelos, the deceiver, the antagonist, the one who would obstruct the work of the gospel, the one who would obstruct God's teaching, his instruction, the one who is interested in the throne of the princes and earthly rulers, the sons of men, who would make themselves sons of God, that this one would play the game against Jesus in chapter 4 of Luke and play with these metaphors, these biblical functions, bread and stone. The one pertaining to life and the instruction, at least that's how bread functions in the Gospel of Matthew, and the one pertaining to the things that men try to create against the instruction which comes from the Father of Jesus. This connection between the institution and livelihood is so important in this section that we'll be discussing today, because the human desire for a construction has always been about preserving their livelihood. When archaeologists look at the Holy Land and they find the oldest human structures, they're always a wall around the granary, a wall around the family compound. That's what we have walls for. And very, very early on, you had to protect the grain from those who would come and take them. They are to preserve one's livelihood. They are to preserve one's wealth. They are to preserve one's food. They are to preserve those things that are going to keep the family alive. So this beautiful 
connection between the stone and the bread, the structure and the livelihood. These are the two references that one applies to God, because what's God supposed to do for me? God's supposed to keep me safe. God's supposed to control my life. God's supposed to make things easier for me than for other people. Otherwise, why would I worship him? Why wouldn't I worship some other God? And in Hosea, the big conflict is which God is going to provide the things that I want either the most or the best. Do I go with the Lord or I go with Baal? Well, we'll see who's delivering today. Who's out there delivering? You know, I, when the ice cream truck comes by, I don't ask to see which ice cream truck is coming by. I just want an ice cream truck with ice cream on it. So if they've got ice cream, I'll take it. If today it's Yahweh and tomorrow it's Baal, fine. I'll have a Yahweh cone and I'll have a Baal popsicle. Like, whatever. The point is that I believe that God is supposed to be providing for me, which he does. But he doesn't provide according to my will, and one day he's going to stop providing for me, and I'm going to go the way of all flesh. I'm going to die, and the provision is going to end. The stone may fall one off of the other. It may crumble. You know, there can be an earthquake. There could be a flood. There can be all kinds of things that are going to make the wall come down. They don't last either. And so the one that survives them all is the Lord. And oh, by the way, Hosea reminds us, when you thought Baal was providing you with the grain, it was me. Oh, you thought that was Baal's ice cream truck? Those were all Lord popsicles that he was stocking his truck with. That's what it means. Only the Lord is capable of providing. So then the question is, what do I expect and that's where I can start to come into trouble. So we have scripture that then guides our thinking so that we're not just about our own preservation. We're not just about building things that are going to preserve our family, but something more important than that. And that's what we get into in today's reading. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, I want to take a moment just to read the passage from Deuteronomy that Jesus is quoting. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. So what Jesus is saying here in Luke, in fact, what the text is explaining is the meaning of the Toledot of Elohim that we just waded through these past few weeks. We just learned that you cannot build a dynasty in stone. You cannot establish a man-made genealogy. There are no generations of David. There are no generations of Adam. They are the generations of God the Father. He is the proprietor of children. He is the proprietor of the dynasty. Through his instruction, 
which is the manna, the bread from the heavens. The bread you're talking about is not a bread that can give life, just like the stone you're talking about is not a stone that can produce a baby. This is the point that we keep coming back to in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is still dismantling the temple and the devil is trying to reinstate the temple. That's the tension. Are you interested in the daily bread of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew? Or are you interested in the grain that Pharaoh is protecting in his granary, which you alluded to just a moment ago, Richard? It's a beautiful text. We're already back in tension with the temple granaries of Pharaoh or David or whomever. And it's significant that when Jesus responds to the devil, he uses the words of Scripture. All he does is quote the Bible. And I love this quote from Deuteronomy 8.3 because he made you suffer hunger and he fed you with manna. So God allowed both to happen. He allowed you to be fed and he allowed you to be hungry. Why did he allow both of these? So that you knew that your food and your hunger were in the palm of his hand that as God commanded, so it would be with you. God has this ultimate authority over the world, over you, over your family. So when you say you have to choose between your family and God, or between earthly institutions and God, he reminds you that it's no choice at all. It's either God or not. But even if you don't choose God, your fate is in his hands. <laughs> you're, you're trapped. So you cannot believe in God, but if there's food, God's claiming that he provided it for you. You say, but I don't believe in God. Well, here's the food. <laughs> Where you think it came from, I guess that's up to you to theologize about. But God's saying, it came from me. Wherever you think it came from, you didn't know. Actually, I like that in Deuteronomy 8.3. You got manna, which you didn't know. You got this food you never heard of before. You didn't know how you got it. The whole point is, there's no way you can produce it. And you know, earlier, Father, when we were talking about the temple, which is so relevant, in Ezekiel, there actually is a temple in chapters 40 through 48, but God doesn't say, build a temple. He said, I'm going to send one of my guys, this angel, and he's going to go around with you, Ezekiel, to measure the temple. The temple's already built. And the guy goes around with a reed and measures how big it is. But it's already built. There was a temple that humans built. There is a temple that God destroyed. The one he allowed for a little while and then didn't allow for a little while. But then once God decided there was going to be a temple, here, Ezekiel, look at my temple. What about who built it? We don't know. Well, this manna, where did it come from? The sky. But how did you? We don't know how. And so the only thing that stands is the word of God. You can have your image of who God is, and then you can come to Scripture and read about who Scripture says God is. And maybe they're the same, but maybe they're not. If they're different, then you have to choose. But you can't say the God that I believe in 
and the scripture that I believe in. You can't do it. You have to say either the scripture is the reference point or it isn't. Either the scripture is the reference point of your food. Either the scripture is the reference point of what you live on, what you survive on. But if you do so, then the word of God is the reference point. Jesus is saying it's the reference point. Why would I need to turn stones into bread, Satan, devil, when God provides everything? God provides all the food. It's very uncomfortable in Ezekiel, this notion of God measuring the temple. It's like the undertaker measuring someone in an old Western before a gunfight. And in Scripture, if you're being measured before Elohim comes to town, it's not good news. You know that the temple was destroyed, and you're hearing the story of a prophetic vision in which God is sizing up the temple that was already destroyed. And then he comes in and out of that temple because what matters to him is the content of his instruction, not the box which can't hold him. Are you hearing scripture yet? In a text that emphasizes his function as shepherd and David's role as slave. Christ in the New Testament is the pimin okalos. He is the good shepherd, which is what David was supposed to be all along. To take care of the sheep in safe pasture for the sake of the flock. I mean, it's right there, Richard, staring everybody in the face. But everybody listens to the deceiver who is interested, as Chris System said, in laying out a pavement, raising pillars, and hanging silver chains with lampadas instead of taking care of the poor. Everybody still listens to the devil. Everybody still thinks that they're doing it for the glory of God, which is an insult to the beggar and to Jesus Christ. I'm quoting Chrysostom. I'm not even quoting scripture. And that was in the fourth century after scripture was written, and we're still doing the same thing. And it's staring us in the face right here in the Gospel of Luke again. And we keep doing the same thing again. I sound like I'm quoting the liturgy again and again. Nothing changes under the sun. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.